It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the Bengals post-game edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports commerce editor with Rick Boring. As we look back at the Bengals' crazy 34-23 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as always, it's presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. Rick, end of the first half, the tweets. Lance McAllister, our friend, does a segment called Tweets I Got. Yeah. I wish I could do Tweets I Got. I don't have the patience nor time nor energy for it. But the Tweets I Got as that first half went along made me go over the edge because I thought, listen, it's been a horrible half and they're probably going to lose. But you know what? It's the NFL. We watched the Texans and Chiefs. We watched the end of Jacksonville. It's just the these guys are pretty good. Even bad teams are pretty good. And then they find a way to win this in a you know in almost a laughing fashion. It was crazy. They fell behind 17-0, scored 34 straight in the second half. Well, end of the first half and into the second half Correct. to Correct. cruise to what ended up being an easy 34-23 win. Skinny. Not to get too deep into fans' comments and silly people saying silly things, but the thing that I can't understand is after what this team did last year and what they're currently in the midst of right now, the winning streak that they've been on, even had they thrown out a sticker today and lost this game and continued playing like they did in the first half, what I can't understand is same old bungles, tweets like that in the first half of this game. It's like, guys, they haven't been anywhere close to that. in, in a long time. And even if they do lose this game and play poorly, that's just the nature of the NFL that happens sometimes. It's great that they turned around and won, but I just don't understand that mindset from certain people that like are, are just absolutely miserable and still think this organization is cursed or something. That, that's the thing is, is, is I listen, I'm a, I'm a cynic. As you know, I think I'm a realist, but I'm a cynic at heart. I know I am. I realize that, but even as cynical as I am, couldn't look at that first half other than go, it's the league. I watched Kansas City earlier today. I watched Jacksonville and Dallas earlier today where Dallas dominated and Jacksonville of all teams came back. It's the league. This isn't like, no offense, this isn't like Moeller taking on CHCA, pick whatever little school you could pick on. This, or CHCA. This isn't, <laughs> yeah, I mean, for this. Yeah, no, I don't need it. I'm sorry, CHCA. I like them too. Um, this, this isn't, this isn't Alabama and Murray State, right? I mean, it's, it, that's the thing that people need to understand. Occasionally, you might have a bad half. And last I checked, the greatest quarterback of all time, greatest player of all time, greatest whatever, is on the other sideline trying to will his team to the playoffs. Stuff like this happens. Grow up and understand that, for goodness sakes. So you can't talk about this game without explaining what happened in the third quarter. The Bengals kicked a field goal right before the end of the first half to make it a 17-3 game going into the second half. And then here's what happened. There was a fourth and three play in their own territory for the Bucs, which we need to discuss because it was they were in a punt formation. The snap went to Giovanni Bernard. It looked like he didn't catch it. It was a little over his head and, and he was late to get his hands up fumble he has to fall on it the Bengals take over in in their territory did you think that was a fake punt a designed fake punt or what happened there it was so I don't know all the answers to this so I you know I do the the sports authority and we've already I've already taped this before we're doing this podcast and Chris Rankel who hosts it um, was waiting for a call from Darren Simmons the special teams coordinator because they do a segment and Darren said that they 
that that I didn't realize because Gio was actually a personal protector here in Cincinnati when he was here with them. He was he did they didn't do that all the time, but he did that his last few years. He was the personal protector on punts. And so they had Gio as the personal protector on punts. He said they hadn't done that all year. So they thought a fake was coming. And so something from a miscommunication standpoint was that Gio figured out that the Bengals knew it was coming. I'm going to guess he tried to audible out of it because he looked like he was surprised at the snap. Now, the snap was also bad. It was up to his left shoulder. I think even if he had caught it, the Bengals thought a fake was coming. They were going to swarm him and get him, and that was going to be that. And then it ends up going through his shoulder, and he ends up recovering it. Um, So, yeah, that, that was a momentum changer. And at the time, Rick, it's like... Listen, I know you guys are disappointed that you went three and out. It was like, you know, you dominated the game. The Bengals got the late field goal at the end of the half. You don't want to go three and out right away. But at the same time, your defense has dominated the Bengals. They've not done anything other than the last drive in the first half where you were probably in, right or wrong, prevent, and you decided to do that. I mean, you, you can't be any damn – you cannot honestly be any damn dumber than that, in my opinion. And actually, Rick, it was fourth and one, not fourth and three, by the way. Not to not to give oh. you crap for it, but it was no, fourth yeah, yeah. and Good one. Point. No, it was fourth and one. So if you want to run a play fourth and one, I'm leaving Tom Brady on the field to run fourth and one, or I'm going to punt it. I'm not going to run some hairy high school nonsensical fake punt that literally let the Bengals back in the game, even though they only kicked a field goal out of that. That let them completely back into the game. Yeah, and whether the the snap was to Geo or it was to the punter, it was a bad snap. So there's Whatever no argument it that it was, it was a, a bad, bad snap. snap. Yeah, but it was terrible. the thing I was thinking when it happened is if that was a fake, it was supposed to be a fake, then Geo Bernard is too good of an actor. Like he was, he waited way too long to actually look for the ball and put his hands up to catch the ball. So his, he had to have thought that the snap wasn't going to come to him by the time the ball was actually snapped. It was just a bizarre play. But anyway, it was completely bizarre. I mean, up 17 to three. It, it, it's total panic. I, it's total get, panic. By the Yes, way. I get you didn't want to go three it out. You thought, listen, 17, three. We've killed them offensively all game. We've killed. Even if we do something goofy, we're going to stop them. no punt the ball away and play defense up two touchdowns and make the Bengals go 70 yards. Rick, the Bengals had 237 yards of total offense, even when things were going right in the second half. They didn't go all that right. They went right because you're stupid. Yes. I mean, you have that defense and the greatest quarterback of all time with a 14-point lead. You going for it right there isn't aggressive. It is dumb. It is panicking. It is being desperate in that situation. You should punt that ball a hundred out of a hundred times. It's yes. just a weird decision, but Four. it plays out as it did. And the Bengals just get a field goal out of it. So at that point, it didn't even look that bad. Even after the Bengals got the ball, they only got the field goal. Your defense ended up holding. It didn't look like that big of a deal, but then things just <laughs> Turn- continued to spiral. Turn- turnover fest. And that's the thing. So they gave you a gift on that one. They did. They gave you a gift. It was a stupid call, stupid play, stupid design, stupid whatever you want to talk about. They gave you a gift. But after that, the next four series were all four turnovers, right? And when you look back, you can say, oh, well, the, the Bucks turned it over. Yeah, they did. But Trey Flowers made a diving interception. Um, DJ Reader pokes a ball loose that, jo- or that Joseph Osai recovers. And I know Logan Wilson got credit for that. I'm still figuring out how, how that worked. But Yeah, Reader punched that ball. Yes, and and it was an impressive play, too. Yes, exactly. And and so there's that. Then Jermaine Pratt makes a diving interception. So you didn't 
get three lucky breaks where this dumb quarterback or this dumb player, the only play that was a gift was the handoff to Fournette. Fournette. That, yeah, yeah, he bounced it off up. his knee pads. At that point, I started wondering, is he shaving points? All <laughs> no, right, I no, was like, is he shaving <laughs> points now? Because that was, it looked like he was completely checked out. It's a great point. That, they shaved it a little too far that they should have shaved. They were shaving points. They shaved it a little too far, but no, you're right. So, but the thing that I think was impressive was you forced three of those or made three of those. I don't know if you forced the Trey Flowers interception, but damn, if that wasn't a great diving interception. So that's what I think that's what this team's about. They can beat you when the offense is rolling. They can beat you when the defense is coming up with turnovers. They can beat you when the defense is shoving it up Cleveland's ass and they can't move the ball. I mean, no, that's, I think that's what this team is about. And that's why this team is really special. And, um, the only thing, and we'll probably get to it in a minute, is the injuries have you a little cautious. Maybe not this week, although I'm going to guess New England is on to Cincinnati after the buffoonery of a loss. But the Buffalo game could be for the number one seed, and it's crazy to think that. That game is going to be ridiculous. I heard uh, today, and I don't quote me on this as an absolute fact, but I was talking to a, a Bills fan at the NKU game. And he told me that he's like, man, I wish I would have gotten tickets at the beginning of the season because now everything's over two hundred dollars. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, that's going to be a big time game. So, yeah, I mean, the Bengals get that field goal after the, the fake punt situation we're talking about. Then you go interception, touchdown, fumble, touchdown, fumble again on the Fournette play that we were talking about. It was just yep. like one thing after another. And then the, the Pratt interception that you were referring to, that was a, a Joseph Osai play on yes, the yes, pressure no, right. and hitting Brady to force it. So, I mean, another forced play right yeah, there. The, great point. The, the defense, and we talk about it so much, and I tweeted this at halftime, they were getting destroyed in the first half. I mean, Brady and that Bucks offense was making it look easy. It seemed like they were manipulating the Bengals defense with motion and getting yep. whatever look they wanted and being able to get the ball out super quick. And they were just carving them up all types of space. And I said, we always talk about Lou Anarumo being able to change things on the fly and make those adjustments and whether it's right, wrong or different, what, what have you. It's a it's been a big storyline this year, and you have to give them credit because it, it seems to always happen. And this game was maybe the most impressive example of that that we've had over the last two years. Yeah, I thought he did a great job of of dropping eight, rushing three on occasion, blitzing on occasion, fire zone blitzing on occasion. There was a play where Osai dropped in the middle of the cover, and they actually completed the pass. But it was you could tell the scheme was great. He was trying to do something different, and Joseph dropped out, and Tony Romo actually pointed it out on the broadcast to his credit. Uh, but they actually completed that pass I'm talking about. But it was like he was doing a bunch of different things, and it really messed Tom up, I thought. And you could tell that he was not in the rhythm that he was in the first half. And uh, when you're when you're messing with the mind of Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes in big games, you're pretty damn good. And you could look and go, well, it's the only time he's faced Brady, really, when it mattered. And he, you know, he's faced Mahomes three times and Brady once now as Bengals defensive coordinator. Guess what they are? Four zero, yeah, pretty damn good, right? Yeah, and and the, all the Chiefs games were. I take it back. He's four. He's four and one. He actually lost in nineteen when they were horse shit. So it doesn't. Yeah, that. Oh yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah, that game doesn't matter. Yes, correct. But when he's got his guys doing his things and dealing with the injuries they were dealing with, that's pretty special, man. Well, and all of those games, not the 19 one, but all the games we're talking about over the last two seasons, high leverage games that really mattered for the opposing team too. Like I mean, today too. Yeah, right. Yeah. You, you just can't say enough about the way he's been able to get that defense right. And today, again, they were getting carved up in the first half and the way they just completely changed and 
Trey Flowers, we, we've talked about Great. Joe Bengals cornerback having an interception. He had the first one today uh, with that play that he made. But that was a play where the Bengals show a zero blitz, which basically means you're bringing everybody. Yep. And then all of a sudden they drop eight in coverage and only rush three by the time the snap actually happens. So, again, just disguising things and confusing the greatest quarterback of all time and, and probably the highest IQ football player we've ever seen is, is pretty impressive stuff. No, it's it, it, it dude. I, 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 not to repeat myself on this, but I've just, I've been a big fan of his since day one. I just think he's just such a smart guy. Who's, who's a big believer in letting players make plays and figure out a way to have players make plays. Um, he's a really good football coach. Well, I mean, it's not like the Bengals haven't had big time defensive coordinators. I mean, Mike Zimmer was really good here. Dick LeBeau was a really good defensive coordinator, but they've had big time names. But to me, he's been the most impressive that I can recall of of my lifetime. In this day and age. Yes, in this day and age. Yeah, where you really feel like you notice the the difference, you know, and things being changed and them disguising things and really mixing it up throughout the course of a game. It's just it's it's really impressive what he's done. And again, I know we've talked about it, so we don't have to go into it, but you just have to think his name is going to be brought up a lot this offseason when jobs start coming open. Yeah, and I hope it works for him because I think he's I th- he's got that head coach mentality that I just whenever I talk to him, I just I think I look at across and I'm like we we talk in a in a pretty intimate setting on Mondays or Wednesdays with him and he's really good. He's not tipping hands, but he's just good with us and he's just a decent person decent guy but when i listen to him I'm like god dude you're gonna be really good in my opinion i think you're gonna be a really good head coach because i think he knows how to delegate i think he delegates to his staff as it is right now and and empowers them um i i don't want to gush over the guy i guess i am but he's just really really good One other thing that I wanted to talk about from a positive perspective is the Bengals have this lead in the fourth quarter and they get the ball back around with, I think, nine minutes to go. Nine minutes. And they just, uh, I guess, Frank Pollock and his glass eaters just absolutely dominated from that point on. They melted off, what, six or so of those nine minutes on a touchdown shot? Six six fifty-seven exactly, Rick, because I wrote it. So, yes. But this is something that they've done consistently throughout the season now is when they have a lead, midway through the fourth quarter or even more than midway through the fourth quarter, they are really able to melt the clock and put these games away. It was funny. I actually had somebody that tweeted at me that I think it was Tyler Boyd caught the ball on the sidelines and he stretched to get a first down. He had to dive out of bounds to do it. How can you go out of bounds on that play? Dude, the first down is what matters, my man. That's that, that was what matters. Don't worry about the out of bounds at that point. But yeah, I mean, it was Samaj P. Ryan. It was Joe Mixon. It was efficient Joe Burrow passes. It was great pass protection. It was no negative plays. It was staying in bounds other than the play I'm talking about. That's what great teams do. Hey, game on. It's a 10-point game. It's hard inside 10 minutes to come back from 10 points down, but it's it's really hard when the other team keeps the ball for nine minutes, and then guess what they did? Capped it with a touchdown to Mitchell Wilcox, which I thought was a nice touch. That felt like a... I don't want to say it was a rub it in score, right? That's not fair, but it felt like it was to get Mitchell a touchdown in his turf. He was an, he was a UCF grad. It was kind of in his area. Um, he was a captain for the game. I thought that was a nice touch. I really did. I don't think it was, I shouldn't say it was probably by design, but it was, it was a nice touch. <laughs> well, he had a nice first down catch on that drive. Yes. Keep it alive yes, too, did. right? Yes. The one where Burrow yep. moved up in the pocket yep. and found him. Yeah. That was a big play. I think 18 yards or so. So, um, one other thing that I had for you was we, we talked last week about how they moved 
Jamar Chase around a lot. Yeah. And you didn't have T. Higgins and and Tyler Boyd available. In this game, they had those two guys, but it looked like they were still moving Chase around, sometimes putting him in the slot, lining him up as like the tight end in certain situations and and using him in different ways. Do you think they've started to get a little more creative, like they unlocked maybe a little something last week with him? Yeah, I do. They, they, they tried that early in the year, and that was a big point of conversation, uh, even in, in preseason, of moving Jamar around. And then it became, are you moving him around too much? And so I'm interested this week when we talk to Brian Callahan, especially whatever day that is, because it's a crazy week. Uh, we don't have availability tomorrow. We've got it Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, and we'll have him one of those days. I'll be interested to hear what he has to say about uh, about that, because um, I think it's become a thing. And I think they figure out a way. In fact, I think Romo even mentioned at one point, I can't remember what play it was, but they lined up mixing out wide. And for whatever reason, I can't believe teams can't switch this up on the fly, Rick. It's funny to me with this. They like mixing up way wide right, and Carlton Carlton uh, Davis covered him. Yeah. And they had a safety or a linebacker on chase. a linebacker. Slot. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, wait a minute. Can't you guys just switch that out? I get where we're at with this, but you have enough time to switch this out. Well, and that was the play that Burrow took the 26-yard sack and they got the defensive holding on the linebacker. Yes, you're right. Because he was trying to guard Chase. That's correct. You're right. That's exactly right. Um, So, yeah, I think they found a way to create mismatches. And and Zach made a mention of this this week, and so did Brian of, you know, last week against Cleveland, and we talked about it, and, you know, we argued about it a little bit because I I get where they're at with their offensive, spread it around, go to the hot hand, Go to the guy who's open. Go to the where your progression goes. Last week was literally we're down receivers and let's go to Chase because he's our guy. He's our first progression. <clears throat> and they lined him up in the slot a few times against the safety John Johnson. And John's a really good player. I mean, he was on the Rams. He was a, he's a good player. And But it's still Jamar Chase against the safety. So they figured out a way to scheme that. And I think they did that today a little bit too. But you also saw... Who all caught touchdowns today, right? Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. Everybody. Yes. And, and that's the thing. And, and last week when I brought that up, that was never my point to say you no, only I'm, throw the ball to Jamar good. Chase. But like, I think there are times when your offense is struggling, like it did in the first half today, where you, you got the most talented guy on the field in Jamar Chase every single game, moving him around. And I don't know if maybe this is the wrong term, but to me, that is scheming him open. When you get a linebacker matched up on him because you've done something weird, like put him at the tight end spot and moved Joe Mixon out to a wide receiver spot in your pre-snap alignment, that is scheming him open, in my opinion, or finding a mismatch for him. I love that type of stuff. And uh, I just, they had to figure things out early. I get all that. It just felt like there were times maybe they could have done more stuff like that to really get him involved when there were those few games early where they couldn't seem to get him open or couldn't seem to get him the ball. And they kept the answer after the game was always, well, the defense was taking that away from us. And that's kind of what I mean. It feels like the defense can't take him away anymore. Not the way they're playing, not the way they're using. And and, and let's give credit for a lot of stuff here too. Um, And that leads into what you were just talking about of the offensive staff looking and going, okay, they're doing this. Let's do that. And Luana Rumo going, they're doing this. Let's do that. And it sucks to get down 17 nothing. Usually in this league, 17 nothing, especially. Uh, we saw the stat today of Tom Brady up 17 nothing. I think he lost, what, two games in his career up 17 nothing. So, I mean, that doesn't happen very often. Never at home before. Yeah, right. And But but they are so good at just settling in. And you wish, listen, I get it. You wish they would start faster on occasion. They've been 
doing that for the most part in this winning streak. But, you know, the Tennessee game, they slugged around. The Cleveland game, they slugged around. This game, they slugged around. And then they figure it out. And you can say, oh, it's lucky they got all these turnovers. No, they created these turnovers. They created it with schematics. They created it with really good players. And then the offense took advantage and all of those things. And that's what championship teams do. That's what they do. And they've been you, doing it for two straight years. Correct. It's not luck anymore. It's it's a, I don't want to say it's a formula because you don't want to go, hey, a formula is we're going to go down 17 to nothing and go win a game. <laughs> right. No, right. that doesn't. No, they're that's just really good. Yeah. That's not a formula, but the formula is, all right, 17 nothing. We're okay. Let's figure this out. Let's get some points here before halftime. Bing. All right, let's get a three and out. And they had a three and out to start. Even if they had punted, I still felt good about that at that point of, okay, you got a three and out. And then you got a break. And then you created your own breaks. And what do good teams do? You create your own stuff. You create your own breaks. I Listen, again, I'm the cynic in the room. I feel like I'm the realist in the room. But I also can tell you, when, I, I I don't want to gush, but when you do these things, you're really good, man. Yeah, and, and they are really good. But it also always comes back to this. The other teams that we've seen do this over the years, who were they? They were Tom Brady-led teams. They were Aaron Rodgers-led teams. Right. They were Pat Mahomes-led teams. The Bengals have that guy in Joe Burrow. You're never Correct. out of the game anymore because of a guy like that. And it's not just Correct. him making Great the plays. Call. There are other really good players stepping up and making really big plays for you. But having a guy like that raises the level of everybody else, raises the level of confidence and, and, and gives you that sense of poise and calm that you talked about at halftime where you go in 17 to three and no one's panicking. They're like, nah, change this, change that. We've got them in the second half and they go out and do their thing. They got a lot of help today in the third quarter. The Bucks flat out melted down. There's no way around that. But this Bengals team is also really good and really fun, and they caused a decent amount of that meltdown, too. Yeah. No, it's so funny. So I'm writing a running game story, and at 17-3, I'm like, okay, this won't be so hard in the second half. They'll maybe get a stop and then get a drive, and I can write this methodically. Dude, I felt like I wrote my fingers off in the second half, as crazy as that (laughs) second half went. The third quarter was just ridiculous. It was ridiculous. It, it, It might be one of the most ridiculous things so there was a game years ago, I want to say 1980. This didn't completely do this. I think the game on Saturday, the indie game, might have. But the Browns, I believe, were either up or down on the Vikings, like 23 to nothing in the fourth quarter. And they scored a touchdown as 23-7. There's no two-point conversion then. So, And then all of a sudden, there was a fumble and a scoop and score, 23-14. And okay, and then they got another stop, and they went down and scored. It was 23-21. At the end of the game, I believe, I think the Vikings won this game. It was Tommy Kramer as the quarterback. Go look this up on YouTube, kids. He throws a Hail Mary to Ahmad Rashad, who we know who he is, right? He was a My main man. He was, he was a sideline reporter of the NBA. And Ahmad makes a great one-handed catch, and they come back and win 28-23. That's what it felt like. Like Everything that had to happen happened right. And it happened right, and yet the Bengals didn't like take initial advantage of some of that stuff. Yet they did enough to go, oh my gosh, it's literally 34 to 17, and Tom Brady's trying to get a garbage touchdown. Good for you, man. Go get your garbage touchdown, dude. Yeah, you. Yeah, it's just incredible to me that anyone can be like upset when they watch this team. You've suffered through so many years of this team being trash and zero fun at all to watch. And now they are so much fun to watch and even capable of doing something like they did today that it's like, 
how do you even get mad at this point when they fall behind? Because you know they're actually capable of something like it's like the first time in your entire life as a Bengals fan that you can actually be optimistic about what's coming next when you fall behind 17 to three in a game. And yet people will still choose to be no, pissed I'm, off and miserable about it. No, Rick, I'm with you on that. I, I, that. That's the part I can't believe either, because I mean, it's like, listen, you're going to lose a game like this on occasion. It's the league. You ain't going, no, you ain't going 17 and zero, kids. You're not grow up and understand that. And you may not come back from 17, nothing down late in a half, but you might. And they did. And that's where we're at with this stuff. So yeah. in is pretty good. Yeah. You think? Yeah. Skinny. There was one negative from this game after it was all said and done. The Bengals defense is getting depleted. They went into the game thin yeah. at cornerback, as we had talked about leading up to it. And they were without Trey Hendrickson, who has a broken wrist now and is going to be out probably at least another week or so. And then in the second quarter of this one, Sam Hubbard went down with an injury and Cam Taylor Britt got hurt in the fourth quarter with a shoulder injury and never returned. How much is this going to catch up to the Bengals? What what's the status of these guys going forward? What the heck are they going to do at cornerback? It's a great question. Um, I think you get Jalen Davis back. I think you get Mike Hilton back. Um, those are both positives. I asked Luana Rumo weeks ago when they were dealing with cornerback issues when Chidobi went away, when Chidobi Wizio went down, would you consider playing Mike outside? And he said, No, he's a slot corner. Okay. So now we're down to Trey Flowers on the outside or Dax Hill on the outside. And so you've got some issues. And obviously Trey and Sam is an issue. Trey's probably not going to be back to the playoffs. Don't know where Sam's at with this. So now you're to Joseph Osai and Cam Sample at end and BJ Hill and DJ Reader inside. Can you get through, <coughs> excuse me, a week with that? Sure. Can you get through New England with that? Yes. Can you get through Buffalo with that? Man, I don't know. And so I think the injuries are a real issue, and we're going to find that out over the next couple of weeks especially. Yeah, that's another layer to this game when you think about the performance they had in the second half. Yes, you know, like the Cam Taylor-Britt injury happened later after they had already made a lot of that that run, but still, they're they're playing shorthanded right now, and they are still finding ways to, to get things done and, and go on a, a 34-0 run in an NFL game, which seems pretty absurd to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Trey was great, and the funny part is Trey was terrible on the outside when he got thrust into action in the in the uh, Cleveland game, right. where Amari Cooper just abused him. But you know, I I'm always reticent to look at this stuff in a negative way because I get the injuries, but I also get there's opportunities. You know, Alan George played late in the game, and we can look at the last drive and go, well, Alan George is on the field and they're hurt and. Dude, you're playing the last drive of the game. He's just going to nickel and dime in. Good for him. He got a touchdown. Um, the New England game will be interesting because they're not dynamic offensively. You have a chance to survive that. You have a chance then to hopefully get everybody, but probably Trey back. And again, I don't know where Sam's injury is. If Sam's injury is where Josh Tupo's injury is, that's probably playoffs. But, you know, you got to deal with it, and that's where we're at with that. All right. Well, that's all I got. All right, bro. Always good. We will be back Thursday. Is that right? Thursday? Yes. That sounds right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I will I will be in Florida. I will be coming back Thursday. So We'll figure, uh, it. We'll figure, yeah, we'll figure something out. We always figure it out because that's what we do. It's it's why we do this podcast. That's right. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the Bengals postgame edition. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. It's always presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage.